0: I've re-muffled myself. Oh, something's happened, Pete. Yeah.
1: I'll tell you what's what's happening. We're going. Oh, we're on. Yes. (laughs) We are on. Yes, hello. And welcome (laughs) to Pop-Up Submissions Live. Now, if you're a podcast listener, you may sometimes have wondered how the whole deviancy started and what shows were like before they got all, I don't know, corporate and had the rough edges knocked off them. Well... I can tell you, or rather you can hear for yourself because Latopia was right in there doing first gen podcasting as if our lives depended on it, Uh, which uh, fortunately they didn't. Um, This is where you point your browser to hear what it was like back in the day. And just look at some of the guests we had. Jeffrey Archer, legendary American journalist Dan Rather, Lindsay Hilsom, yes, from Channel 4 News here in the UK and so many more. We even had the General Secretary to the committee that awards the Nobel Prize for Literature and that was a great show. So go to pod.radioletopia.com and enjoy old time podcasting. Two Titanic guests on today's show. He has a towering reputation as a leading British publisher. Welcome back to the CEO of Head of Zeus. It's Nicholas Cheatham. And if your cup is not running over already, what kind of person are you? I mean, your appetite must be insatiable. We've also got half man, half Litopia legend, and an author to boot. It's the redoubtable John Duffy. Oh yeah, too much already. I think we better get this show on the road. Here we go. Submission, number one. It's called A Little Spark. It's New Adult Fantasy. That's a bit older than YA. And it's from Garen. Let me read you Garen's blurb. Alistair is a street urchin that just wants to be left alone under her bridge to read all day. Tell me all. Theodra? Am I saying that right? Theodra is a grizzled witch who just wants to be left alone to forget her past, but the world changes and forces far beyond either of their understandings conspire to drive them together, no matter what either wants. Now they must learn to coexist, each one using their strength to support the other, lest a growing threat crush them and the entire world beneath its ambitions. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll find out. Hello? Says, Garen, my name is Garen Best. I'm 26-year-old. I'm from... That's very young, actually, for a writer. Um, I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the US. I've always been a writer at some level, whether it was the school newspaper or entering writing competitions in middle school and high school. However, I was recruited to row in college. i assume that's rowing, not rowing. Um, so writing fell to the wayside as I pursued athletics. I know, probably not something you see a whole lot of writers do. Well, I mean, writers, total mixed bunch. Um, On one particularly boring train ride, I decided to write down the beginnings of a story I had rattling around in my head for a few months, stashed it away and forgot about it. Then the pandemic hit, and suddenly I had more free time to explore the story, and it took off. I've been doing it for almost three years now and haven't looked back. Well, hopefully, you'll look forward... Sorry, about dreadful, dreadful, dreadful... <laughs> um, ...with this amazing reading from Hannah.
2: A Little Spark by Garen Read by Hannah Prologue Briaticus burned The once your splendid white marble that framed its luscious gardens blazed violent yellow and orange. It lit up the night like a bonfire, dancing tendrils reflected in the dark water surrounding the lake like a jewel vision of destruction. The castle's towers bellowed flames high into the air, forming spiral vortexes of heat in the sky. Nothing in Beatricus was spared. Not only did furniture, carpets and tapestries burn... But so did the armour mounted on the walls, the metal and glass that framed the windows, and even the very stone itself, marble blocks that had stood for hundreds of years burnt like dried firewood, releasing black smoke into a blacker night. The throne room door gave way as Inessa threw herself against it. She fell forward, skidding a few feet on the polished tile floor shoulder already smarting from the impact. Ignoring the agony piercing her right thigh, she picked her head up and looked around. The wave of destruction her allies had unleashed started on the outer walls, meaning the central throne room she was in now was relatively untouched, by the fire anyways. The dozens of bodies strewn about, reflected destruction of a much more personal nature. The ornately rotund room had monumentally high ceilings that the smoke could rise into, giving Inessa clean breaths of air for the first time in what felt like days. Fuck, she gasped, lungs still burning from smoke. Or screaming, it was difficult to tell. Probably both fighting her way through tight burning hallways tended to have that effect. Still, based on the corridor Inessa had just exited, she knew the fresh air wouldn't last long. Already she felt radiating heat on her back, letting her know the grand room would be engulfed in flame sooner rather than later. Inessa was a tall and lanky woman, and her black hair that had been in a tight bun only an hour ago now drooped to one side with fraying bits sticking to her sweaty forehead. In fact, most of what she wore was stuck in her with sweat. Her normally olive-coloured skin was now stained nearly black with soot. Inessa let out a groan as she rolled onto her left side. She needed to inspect her wounds, though she knew she wouldn't like what she saw. Her leather cuirass, once stark crimson, was covered in smattering of ash and blood, with all the dents, burns and cuts in it. She doubted it would technically count as armor anymore. Though perhaps the most apt metaphor for this entire evening's events. Her leather trousers were in a similar state, heavier on the blood than the ash. Gingerly, she felt at the wound. Pain exploded out from it. Coursing up to her body and into her jaw as she let out a low, throaty moan. Gritting her teeth, she kept prodding to determine what the cause of the pain was. After a moment, she let out a groan deeper and longer than the last one. Broken femur, based on the bleeding, might even be compounded. But when did that even happen? Vaguely, she remembers feeling a slight twinge when she dripped through the kitchen. How had she been able to walk? Pulling her hand away, she noted her fingertips glistening with blood and prodded no further. Touching it more, won't put the bone back in my leg. Despite Inessa's sorry state of appearance and horrendous leg wound, the fact she was able to lie down, breathe clean air and take a breath from fighting for her life did somewhat improve her mood. How could one woman be so lucky? I guess with how everything has gone tonight. I should savor the small victories.
1: Thank you very much, Hannah. Great reading. Got us off to a good start there. Let's see what the genie is saying. Always right, never wrong. Why? Because they're readers. That's why. Uh, Vagabond says, "This is you know starting right from the beginning." Talk about the blurb first. Vagabond says, "Blurb, bit wordy, slightly confusing, but has some good hooks." Claire likes the blurb, little vague in places. James says, like the the title. Blurb left me wanting. Terry says, very wordy blurb, needs a good edit. Good title. Um, And moving on, PJ says, uh, blurb had the right idea. Didn't really have anything to hook me. Title seems way younger than new adult. And Claire, minor point, but, you know, it sticks in the mind. Can Marble burn? Um, Lex, ouch, blogger text, fix that format. A number of other people have said the same thing, but they don't like the way you formatted it, and it does actually matter. Appearances, you know, it's first impressions count, Karen. Um, Not good format, says Eva. Prologue, not grabbing me. James says, nice descriptive writing, but give me emotion. Get into the action. And Then a little bit further on, Claire says, description going on too long now. Let's have some interaction dialogue. Vagabond says, feels like the opening chapter rather than a prologue, too long, too detailed for that. Hannah, our narrator, says, the writing flowed well, easy to read, but could have done with more emotion. And then Martin, who's also one of our narrators, who I think we're going to hear from today, actually, says, some nice writing, but the calamity is impersonal. I agree, I didn't feel that at all. Um, He says, uh, we need to feel it's happening to a family member. Absolutely. And uh, Terry says, I could see everything described, but not feel it. I think that's a very perspicacious comment. Uh, what do you think, Nick?
3: Um, uh, well, starting um, starting at the top, I think the, the title was okay, um, but um, you know, you need to you need to, to read on and to read more. Um, I think the description is, um, uh, as as uh, as new adult is uh, is is possibly incorrect. Um, certainly, from the blurb, the blurb doesn't even sound like YA to me. It sounds uh-huh. more like middle grade. Um, and, uh, I mean, new adult would typically be, you know, we'd be looking at people who are sort of 18, uh, 19, 20, and I guess, I guess kids usually read up, so you'd get some, some young kids reading that. But uh, it doesn't it doesn't sound like, um, I mean, fantasy is an interesting one, because I kind of think that all fantasy is kind of like some, is, is basically YA. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. you know, when I was 10. You know, that was what we read, you know, that was was what YA was back then. Um, And it was all tales of, you know, people growing up and discovering they had powers and responsibilities and how they (laughs) coped down. It seems like good meat stuff for for YA. Um, uh, Yeah, so onto onto the text itself. Um, uh, I I was a little bit confused, you know, the um, non-burnable things burning, I thought, okay, um, uh, there's some kind of eldritch nature to this fire, um, Um, all-consuming. But then suddenly there was a uh, um, a throne room which was miraculously unconsumed by the fire and nothing was burning there yet. There was a shoulder hurting, or was it the thigh hurting? and um, uh, then, um, uh, you know, some sort of prodding around of the wound um, that, uh, you know, if you had a compounded fracture of the um, of the femur, you wouldn't be going anywhere quickly, I don't think. Um, uh, but, you know, mm. maybe there needs to be more magic. Maybe there is magic going on here. Maybe we're meant to feel, you know, um, different, different uh, sort of, meant, these are meant to be questions in our minds that are going to be answered. Um,
4: yeah.
3: The short sample doesn't, uh, doesn't really let us know. And I think the prologue thing is, you know, We've talked a lot on this program about, you know, sort of why not just get first straight into the first chapter? Why bother having a prologue? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, we've said that before, but, you know, prologues can work, um, but you've got to have a really good reason for it, and you've got to have a nice contrast between your prologue and, you know, your, uh, and your first chapter. Um, and they both got to deliver. And, you know, only seeing one here, I couldn't possibly really judge that. Yeah. The one thing I really didn't like about this is the first word of dialogue, um, which I guess you know is maybe uh, a, uh, um, a step towards the new adult, um, uh, you know, the word fuck. I mean, you know, pe- mm. so often, I mean, it seems to be people's first word of dialogue from a character to kind of prove how um, a kind of extreme yeah. the situation is, yeah. is, you know, a, a swear word. It's fuck yeah. or shit or something like that. Um, and, you know, I, people don't really talk like that. Mm. You know, and it's not a great way to introduce your character, I don't no. think. No. Um, That's not- so, it know, feels- so
1: it's a bit of a it feels fake it's a bit of a red it? flag thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it feels very yeah. fake yeah okay um G- oh, what have i done oh have, yeah i have pressed right right yeah palmer joe says YA a for people who plan to never grow old needs to be a genre well you heard it first here you see, seen just created a brand new genre and claire says contrast between prologue and first chapter is a great tip thank you very much nick what did you think johnny
0: it's hard to add anything much to what the genie i have said and what nick has said and um, funny enough i was going to one of my points was going to be the first fuck. I, I, I was kind of in a bit of a daze and it jarred me out of it because it seemed at odds with the rest of the text as well it, yeah. it was just there thrown in and it was like a punch that it got almost oh well, you know that just didn't seem to fit as oh, far I as i about, felt yeah. with it yeah um But also, I I think this highlights the danger of going into a prologue because we've got what's a very competent start, you know, pretty competent start to a book here. So, normally there's a contrast between a prologue and, and, you know, all of a sudden you go back to the what the the author wants to make the the real story we're already being asked to invest in the battle scene castles things like that no mention of the two characters in the blurb by the way they mm. they don't they don't appear at all so no. there's a disconnect between the blurb mm. the blurb and what we're being presented with here so i would imagine when it comes to this you know it's chapter two or whatever it is there'll be a stark change and yeah. i just wonder if that would throw people off and also if you were if you were gripped by the blurb and you thought that looks interesting, and then you picked it up off the shelf, you know, and, and you started reading, you go, "Hang on, this this isn't this isn't the blurb." But the pub has the publisher put the wrong blurb on the back of this book, It doesn't appear to be the same book. Mm-hmm. Competently written, though, I thought you know there was some nice I turns of phrase right. in it.
1: Yeah, and it was
0: there was nothing nothing wrong with the writing whatsoever. Yeah, um, but I think it's it's I, I would be not unless you can sort of meld those two together that that start and what comes subsequently i'd be inclined to ditch that first bit myself good but that's just personal preference uh but yeah i mean it's it's quite well written i I like i like the title as well it's quite a nice title um i i would you know I've, i've put my marks in so you know i went even threes across the board
1: yeah, me too, actually. That's exactly what I did. Uh let's look at the numbers there for you, Karen. That's not a bad start. Um I we I, look, you you're just getting it, you know, as as we react. I mean that's the beauty of this show. It's sort of live sentiment analysis. Uh there's no edge. We're not we're not trying to be nasty to you. We're just telling you as, as it is. What I do want to do though, because you are, you know, one of our younger uh, submitters is just point out that it's a long game writing is a long game and you know you're, you're starting out basically and each time you know you put pen to paper or whatever it is electrons to screen you learn a little bit you learn a little bit hopefully you've learned from uh the comments today and hopefully you'll continue writing as well that's what we want to see To talk to Nicholas about a uh, rather sad event uh, this week uh, we lost Martin Amos who mm. is yeah. is was <clears throat> one of the most iconic writers really of I uh, know past um, 30 40 years um, you do you ever meet him do you have what's your what's your recollection of Martin Amos at all reading his books well I, books I, in I, the flash?
3: I ne- never never met him but he's really the last writer of my formative teenage years um yeah, I mean, to, too, to yeah. die and there were sort of yeah. three of them you know who really you know sort of um I grew up, I guess, maybe in the 1980s, and so uh, it was Ian Banks and Alastair Gray and, and Martin Amis. Those are the books that have sort of changed my life. I think it was Money from Martin Amis and That's Lanark right. from Alastair Gray and yeah. you know, uh, The Wasp Factory from, from, from Ian Banks. Yeah. And that, for me, was really exciting writing. And so it's tremendously sad, you know, that... Um, uh, that all those wonderful writers are are now gone. Thankfully, you know, we've still got their books. Um, Do you see uh, anybody
1: stepping into the Amos shoes, or is that sort of, is he of an era?
3: Um, well, I mean, everyone is, is of an era. I think there will always be sort of controversial writers. I mean, there always have been, you know, from Lord Byron, you know, sort of uh, onwards. But I think, you know, the stereotype of the hard-drinking, you know, uh, cigarette in mouth, yeah. um, a kind of bad boy is a very sort of um, old-fashioned, perhaps, you know, yeah, sort of way right. of looking, yeah. at, uh, looking at writers. I guess today's bad boys could be girls as well. But, yes, you know, right. writers can be... You know, um, uh, you know, they have a great platform for being controversial. But I mean, the difference maybe today is that they have to share that platform um, uh, with uh, bad um, uh, boy girl, uh, the YouTubers. Um, mm. uh, 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 mm. the, uh, you know, even even celebrity chefs are in on the action. You know, like everyone, yes. you know, who's kind of on an edge and has got some attitude. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, but it's you know, a crowded
1: market, that. isn't it? Really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's fantastic. Um, Thank you very much, Nick. Yeah, it's very, very sad news, actually. But I'm sure somebody else will uh, step up to to claim that mantle um, very soon. Now, we're going to look at submission number two. Then we're going to come back and talk to Nick a little bit more. And here we are. Submission number two today is from Dave. It's an echo thriller. Very trendy. And it's called Project Eagle Star. This is Dave's blurb. So little is known about the Antarctic mainland even less about what might lie beneath the ice of the thousands of square miles of floating ice shelf. Ben and the team of scientists aboard the research vessel Eagle Star are looking for organic material at the bottom of the Southern Ocean. Creatures that could hold the key to a looming antimicrobial resistant world. Instead, new instructions direct them to Halley 7 Ice Station on the mainland. A menacing secret store them i'm interested i like it's a long history of uh, uh, great books actually about the antarctic uh, by jules Verne, in fact um so this is all about dave i'm a retired teacher raised in the home of rugby union whether it be twicken or rugby i'm not sure i've taught primary school children and lectured to key stage three and four students in prison the students not me were resident. All right, made that clear. My debut novel, Project Eagle Star, is a science mystery set on mainland Antarctica. Early fascination with the history and landscape of the place ensured that my first full length novel would be based there. The photos and account of Shackleton's expedition impacted me greatly. An eclectic CV including lab work, science equipment sales, bookshop management, we like bookshop managers. Uh, and a spell as a welder's mate culminated in teaching, of course, the logical conclusion, uh, via a diploma in theology. <laughs> 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 and a BA degree in science. Music is another hobby, having performed at the Albert Hall and producing several albums. Wow, a lot of fine achievements mm-hmm. there, but I think the crowning one is going to be this reading
5: from Jeff. Project Eagle Star, by Dave, read by Jeff. Forward. After crossing the Antarctic Circle in 1773, unaware that he had been only 80 miles away from the coast of Antarctica, Captain Cook declared, I can be bold to say that no man will ever venture farther than I have done, and that the lands which may lie to the south will never be explored. Well they were. They were investigated evaluated, traversed, claimed and counterclaimed and year-round camps established on them. Antarctica had been pretty much ignored for centuries after Ptolemy suggested the existence of an unknown southern land. He considered that this southern land mass was necessary in order to bring a global counterbalance to the known northern land, the Arctic. But suddenly, despite its forbidding climate, it hosted around 16 expeditions in the 1890s. It became a place of international interest where wildlife was to be decimated, asked the whales and seals. Nazi naval craft could pursue their hunt for the ingredients of margarine in 1936 and find refuge during World War II. Enter UK Operation Tabarin, a focus of friction between interested countries and a place to which pregnant women were airlifted in order to win the race to produce the first Antarctic Nationals, one by Argentina and followed by 10 other births. It is a place where politics is beginning to run deeper with its 4km thick ice covering, a place of overlapping borders, most of which end in a point of the South Pole. Intrigue over claimed territories, suspicion of the motives of others, usurpers setting up research bases and incursions across international claims. It is a meteorite repository, and is thought by some to hold considerable mineral wealth, including oil and gas. The remoteness of Antarctica, despite the technological advances in communication and transport, enables it to remain a place of mystery and beauty. So who really knows what global activities go on there? Two scientists peered out of the ice station's observation window four metres up from a prairie of shadowy snow. They were trying to determine whether or not the base was still under scrutiny. A call had come through from the British Antarctic Survey, Cambridge. This was one of their Antarctic stations and it was a routine contact to ensure that everyone there was safe and well. They were soon to be emerging from the harsh and relatively lonely months of winter. They are still watching us, gripped right, Tony Goodfellow, putting down the binoculars. You'd think they'd be tired of it by now. What on earth are they finding so interesting over here? And why are communications still being monitored? We are the clicks on the line, the difficulty in getting connections sometimes. I know, and as you intimated, the fire last week seemed to be no accident. But unless you or we can prove it's deliberate, there is very little we can do, I'm afraid replied Peter from the safety of the UK. Rest assured, we're giving this our urgent attention. Ron Dickerson picked up the discarded piece of equipment and leveled it in front of his own eyes. His brows furrowed as he thought he also detected movement. This could all well end in tears, unless someone steps in and starts negotiations, he sighed in measured tones. We need to know what's going on. Well, as you know, continued Peter's sibilant and sympathetic voice, We've contacted the Argentinian Research Council, but they have no knowledge of any issues on their scientific base. As far as they are concerned, they too are also going about their business, continuing their scientific investigations, and waiting the winter out in the darkness. I'm afraid that we just have to sit it out as well for now. The support ship will be arriving in three weeks. In the meantime, keep safe, and let us know immediately if anything changes. We will continue discussions at this end and let you know of any developments. Okay, big soon. With a click, their link with civilization ended. The seven scientists and crew at Haley-7 Research Station were just emerging from the grueling months of Antarctic overwintering.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff. Chilling, chilling. Genie, um, what are they up? I mean, they're just they're in uh, hyper hyperdrive now, actually. Uh, so much, I don't know how I can summarize. But let me start. Lex says blurb has good ideas, but trim first sentence down to support other ideas. This is an adventure, not a National Geographic special. And James says, wasn't Antarctica where they found the thing? Yes, the thing. Two great movies. I made at least twice. Oh yes, I was hoping for something like the thing, actually uh terry says you can lose first sentences The blue first two sentences to to straighten the character action um vagabond where does this person have time to write that's based on your bio dave you do seem very busy chap um do thrillers have forwards vagabond carries on to say and claire says is this forward necessary <laughs> pamela joe says yes james In reply to the thing comment i'm hoping for a remake when the billionaires start building their enclaves there the thing on the Thors. of course it will i've watched that movie um hannah says don't think we need a forward i don't want a lesson before launching into a story terry says this is like a non-fiction book rather than a thriller and um, james says oh no too much telling no story jan says i love an echo thriller i'm not sure the, the secret store that's what you reference in the blurb isn't it grabs me enough i want to know more um and vagabond says did this person <laughs> did this person so very haughty did this person actually want to write a textbook not a thriller um and um, pj says yeah this is a tad talk not a thriller." um dialogue we go on to some dialogue then claire says nothing particularly good dialogue feels unrealistic and <laughs> vagabond who's really turned i think she's turned her, her mind against this says now we have info dump disguised as dialogue oh no and uh, it's still coming in thick and fast in the genius room let's uh, let's cut to johnny
0: Mm, yeah uh, there's a lot to a lot to agree with there uh if the, i take the positives first of all um i, I thought the, the title was fine uh no, no real problem with the title um and the blurb was interesting in fact and i made the same note about cutting the first line there's no point in having the first line in the, in the blurb and then we got into the book and and i think you know why why the author put all that sort of factual stuff in it belongs in, in a textbook rather than, a, than an eco thriller. And I yeah. think if I, started reading that with the, with the concept of it being an eco-thriller. I go, what on earth's going on? It would just baffle me beyond all belief. Um, I, I think they really need to seriously think about starting with the two scientists. Um, uh, and, and then I, I'm so, sorry, I have to be a pro, you know, same thing. I, I just felt the dialogue was expositional and clunky. Yeah, and, and I would, I, I would say to, to, uh, to is Dave, um, yes. you know, if you're writing dialogue, there's two ways, you know, read it out to yourself or get somebody to read it to you or you record yourself re- reading it because, you know, it's all... And if we do this, we could do that. And, that, you know, and you're just, you're just basically telling people what's happening through the dialogue, and it's not the way people speak um, from that point of view. So I think that's something which, which we need a little bit of attention. Um, I, I think the concept is good, you know, the concept is good, but I think it needs a rethink in terms of handling it perhaps.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And the genie, if I can... I don't know how I can summarise it. Thanks, Uh Just has come and said, this feels like someone who loves the research for their story. I get it. It's hard to let go. But you've got to let it go. You've got to. That's the thing, Dave. Uh, Terry says, and then uh, the very phrase, as you know, is used. <laughs> I know, you don't <laughs> often see that in a piece of fiction. Um, tone all wrong for thrillers, says Claire. Hannah says, oof, character even said, as you know. Um... Wait, where's the thing, says Lex. The Vagabond says, I can't care about That's Not enough to make me invest. PJ, the thing is still on ice. And um, Terry uh, Chandler Jewel says, too stiff. Unengaging. Like the title very much. And some advice there uh, for you, Dave. Claire says, read all the white spaces. I think that's uh, that's good advice for the sense of atmosphere, Nick.
3: Um, uh, I do like a good bit of cli-fi. Um, uh, and I do love a book set in Antarctica. And mm. I'm expecting um, one any minute now from one of my, uh, one of my favorite authors oh, uh, on the head of Um uh, So I was kind of worried about being scooped, perhaps. Um, yeah. uh, but I mean, this, this, this doesn't have it at all for me. Um, uh, I mean, if you want to have a foreword where you talk about you know, your research and the things that you find interesting, put it at the end um uh you know start the book with um with with a bang start it with some action i mean there's some really interesting stuff actually sort of um, actually yeah uh, i thought so
1: there. too i didn't know that about pregnant operation
3: women. tambourine you know and yeah, um quiet. you know sort of babies being born you know yeah. i would read a book you know that's yeah. a great idea for beginning a thriller
1: yeah
3: um uh, you know that's original um it gets some women into the um into the story it gets vulnerability you know it's 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 a it's i would read the book you know basically uh, set on that you know um, instantly fascinating yep. um uh yeah and apart from that i think i'd agree with, with everyone you know i think you know what is a secret store and why is it menacing that didn't quite make sense in the blurb um obviously tons of exposition clumsy use of words you know um uh, what global activities really go on there um global activities in antarctica i didn't really understand that mm-hmm. um uh, yeah, so I would not have read any further um, uh, than uh, than that section. Uh, okay. Than, 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 than That's telling
1: um, it like it is, and genius my genius of Antarctica. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was, I was sort of curling up mentally, actually, and thinking, "This is going to be good." Oh yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, it's a sub sub genre, really, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, thrillers set in an- Antarctica. Yeah, I want, I want that. I'll definitely read that. The Thing, mm-hmm. Ice Station Zebra. No, that was. Um, the Arctic wasn't it? That's
3: um, yeah.
1: yeah, that's right. <clears throat> but, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's the sort of thing I really would like to, to, to read. Let's look at the numbers here. You're forty nine, Dave. You've got a forty nine, and you've got the benefit of lots and lots of useful comments. I think from the, the genius room, and you know that uh, Nicholas Teuton, CEO, head of views never comes on this show. Never comes on this show without bringing us a book and that's where you go to see which book he's brought uh, this time Com. if we go there nick what are we going to find red team blues what is this
3: well um i think this is um a, a really interesting book because Usually in literature, computers are done really, really badly. Yeah. Like the, you know, uh, literature has not done them any further Computers are black boxes, as X, you know, machinas, you know, with buttons labelled yep. upload virus that end or save the world, depending. <laughs> Um, uh, and another trope that I really, you know, I don't have too much time for is the idea of, you know, the teenage hacker, you know, who can do things, you know, that, uh, that all the adults can't and, you know, they just don't understand it. And it's a way for the author just to get away with, you know, making things happen um, <laughs> at the drop of a hat. So I thought I would bring this book on uh, because it um, is how to do computers well. Oh. Um, uh, and our hero in it, you know, is not a teenage hacker, though Cory Doctorow has done many very, very cool teenage hackers in his time. Our hero here is a 67-year-old veteran of Silicon Valley. Who, hey, um, Silver Fox. A- yeah. yeah. He's a forensic accountant. Um, and boy, you know, is the life of a forensic sci-fi <laughs> It's accountant very exciting, exciting
1: there, yes. <laughs> um,
3: and this is... Kind of, you know, Corrie's uh, homage, you know, to the pulp, you know, detective fiction that he loved, you know, when he was growing up. But he set it in, um, he set it in Silicon Valley, um, and our, yeah. you know, PI investigating, you know, what's going on here. You know, basically, I exposed a lot of the rot, you know, that um, we all know it underpins, um, uh, you know, the tech bro, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, tech bro culture.
1: Right. Absolutely, yeah. Um,
3: uh, And um, he does. uh, He gets the tech all right as well, you know. So this is good, clever, well, he would. He's got excellent
1: cred, Um, isn't he, Uh, Corey Doctor in the the tech area?
3: No, no, no one's got it better. And this is, but this is, you know, his love letter really to the detective fiction that he grew up right um, loving. um, uh, Teamed, you know, with his magnificent overview of everything, you know, that's good and bad um, uh, in the world of technology.
1: A forensic accountant so. as your protagonist. I mean, what's next for Cory? It could be an actuary or something even more exciting. Well,
3: Corrie's written two more books um, uh, starring um, this chap, Marty Hench, and they each go back in time. So this one's set in the present day. The second one um, uh, is, uh, is set um, uh, in uh, the 1980s, and then we're right the way back um, uh, just to, you know, actually you know the very beginning of the 1980s for the third.
1: That's fantastic. Um,
3: so, you know, um, we get the entire sort of gamut of, uh, of, of the growth and evolution of Silicon
1: Valley. Thank you very much, Nick, for bringing that along. And this is where you go. Oh, on, Garen, I'm delighted. Thank you so much. Thank you. Book.latopia.com. that's where you go to where to get it and let us know what you think. Um, speaking of which, actually, let me just tell you, give you advance notice of the next uh, Latopia book club. It is a book club, but not as you know it club.litabia.com, Saturday the 18th of June, so you've got quite a long time, actually, to grab a copy of this and read it and formulate your thoughts about it. You've got to read this book. It's one of the sort of iconic books, really, the past uh, three decades. Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. You may love it, you may hate it, but you've still got to read it and have an opinion on it, and particularly think about... I don't know if it was a prophetic book of its, of its time or not. Club.litobia.com, Get your copy now and put the date in the diary. Saturday the 18th of June. <laughs> and here we go. It's number three today. It's from, well... It's speculative fiction. And it's called Rider Slash... Not I like slashes and titles. Rider Slash Sophie's Seeing Unicorns Again. Sophie's seeing unicorns again. Hmm. As parents of a young, beautiful Sophie struggle to cope with her recurring brain tumour, it seems that insult to injury means she is obsessed with visions and encounters with the mythical unicorn queen, Angelica. <coughs> Not quite English. Whilst her parents cannot first cope with these delusions, Sophie is fully immersed in Angelica's world. A world where a great war is building between good and evil. Balancing what a knife, said. This is about you, me well. Army. Army prison. MC, MCTC. I know where that is. I, was, I went past it a couple of days ago. Isn't that funny? Uh, for, it's, uh, it's not exactly a prison, is it? But, uh, it's in Colchester, I know. Um, for possession with intent to supply Class B drugs civilian life, civilian prison for attempted robbery. It's all good writing chops. Um, attained a diploma in IT. Attained an HND in software engineering. Was accepted into Ruskin College, Oxford. Uh, I've got a client who, uh, who went there and it changed their life actually, absolutely changed their life. Uh, became a very, uh, very well-known um, ghostwriter. Um, to do a creative writing degree based on 10 pieces of poetry, but could not attend. Oh, how tragic. As I had previously had a bursary at Bournemouth University. Oh, that's that's such a shame you didn't go. Um, I've been homeless and suffered mental illness due to life experiences. I'm on the mend. I will consider myself to be no longer problematic. I've also worked for charitable organisations, both volunteering and full-time. I'm now a warehouse supervisor. Writing, along with my family, is my reason for living. Wow. Well, that's straight from the heart, as is this reading from Martin.
4: Rider Sophie is Seeing Unicorns Again by Miguel. Read by Martin. Chapter 1 A Unicorn Appears. Her head tilted back, she stretched out her right arm, twisted her hand with fingers open. Slowly she turned, awkwardly, until facing the painting of the unicorn on the cafe's wall. As her eyes became transfixed by the magical image in front of her, she muttered, ANGELICA, each syllable showing her pearl-like little teeth peering out from under her soft, bluing lips. Ma, 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 Jessica shouted. Sophie's seeing unicorns again! mum shrieked immediately muffling her worst fears she dashed around the counter and dived onto her knees towards Sophie who seemed to be standing and yet on the verge of collapse she was just in time Sophie fell straight down into her her arms like a high-rise building imploding panicking she examined her quickly before shouting at her sister Josie to call an ambulance her worst nightmare had come true She was feeling sick to her maternal guts and shaking, but had to take control of this horrible situation to try and save her beautiful child. An eternity passed, blurred and was lost by the time mum found herself sitting in a hospital waiting room, alone. She had watched her child taken through double doors on a trolley bed by nursing staff, to be seen when, alive, not, She didn't know what was going on anymore, apart from the basics of a harsh reality. Sophie's tumour problems were probably back, and it was happening all over again. A while later, Sophie's father, Michael, bolted in, aimed straight for the desk and jumping ahead of the people who were waiting. He asked desperately, Michael, Sophie Robertson, my daughter, she's been rushed in after collapsing. She's six years old. Is she here? Where is she? The nurse could see the absolute tension and panic on the father's face, and quickly typed her way through the system, arriving at her details. Nurse, yes, she's been taken in, and doctors and medical staff are assessing her now. You will have to wait until you are called, please. She gestured to the chairs. Sarah, Sophie's mum, sat there looking forward, not at her husband. Sarah's eyes glistening with loosely imprisoned tears voiced an inner scream. That scream was penned back, but only by utter shock. She jolted forward slightly in her chair, a slight gasp escaping her body. More of a spasm, but was unable to move or speak for fear of breaking down. Almost paralysed, she barely felt the warmth of the hand that had placed itself upon hers. An older lady sat beside Sarah, had sensed her torment. Knowing that she could not help or comfort her, she gently showed her companionship a transference of warmth, love, and pity. Michael, Sarah, are you okay, my love? What's happened? Has the tumour come back? Sarah, barely able to think, muttered almost incoherently that she didn't know. The old woman's touch had helped. Sarah, the doctors are checking her. Michael grabbed her shoulders and looked into her face while kneeling before her. Michael, don't worry, love. Everything will be all right, you'll see. She's a fighter, this one. She's got her mother's grit and her father's spirit. She's got through it before and she'll get through it again. You'll see, I'm right. I said it last time and I was right then, remember? The hypocrisy of this comforting statement was instantly neglected for sake of hope. Sarah looked up, slowly nodding, throwing her arms around him. With almost a smile, she whispered, Sarah, you were right, you were right. She's pulled through it, but it's back again. I hope they can get rid of it once and for all. I can't take this any longer." Her half-smile started turning into a sob of relief that Michael was there, mixed with hours of parental trauma and anguish. Just then, a doctor came into the side of the waiting room and no further. Doctor, Mrs. Robinson, please. For Sophie Robinson, he said slowly and deliberately, reading a form. Sarah, yes. She began to compose herself for important news about her darling daughter. Doctor, if you'll follow me this way, please.
1: We leave that on uh, a cliffhanger, don't we? Um, wow, let's look at the genius straight away. Um, we start, of course, with uh, thoughts about the title and then blurb. Vagabond says, I'm a bit confused by title and blurb. Is the story about you, the unicorns or a family's fight to save their daughter? I think it's both, I think it's both. Um, Lex says I think the blurb implies the last unicorn cross with Pan's labyrinth, which yes please but I al- I'm also dizzy after that mangled diction. Find the diamond and the rough. I think it's meant to be adult speculative, says PJ. We might have some thoughts about genre, actually. Please edit blurbs, says Chandler Jewels. Tighten, eliminate, cliche, nice edge. Uh, Claire says, this could be a very beautiful story. And i I quite a hunch it might be. Hannah says, blurb's OK, but what's the protagonist's goals slash obstacles? Um, get rid of some of those adverbs as well. doesn't like those. Um, PJ says, tighten that first paragraph and it could work. Jan says, tighten title, Sophie's Seeing Unicorns Again, intrigues me. The blurb needs a revision, as others have said. I've, to be honest, I... I I just deleted Ryder in my head and I'm seeing the title that Sophie's seeing unicorns again. And I've given marks on that, actually. Not sure this is the right place to start, says Claire, but good to start with action and dialogue. I'm not feeling much emotion, though. And it's a very distressing scene. Pamela is says, not sure about the point of view. It seems very distant. Where does Ryder fit into all this? Says Vagabond on Martin And the narrator says, immediate, urgent, if a little telly in places. Um, overwritten? says vague uh james says nothing new happening here got emotional charge from this says martin again our narrator not the place to start says hannah terry Dialogue's very clunky it's strange that wasn't it the um sort of the script formatting i i didn't work for me but we'll find out from um our guests in a moment and james says again read on uh, uh, uh read online about formatting a manuscript before submitting. Anywhere and Vagabond says it comes across as a bit melodramatic, needs to get us into the feelings rather than shouting them at us. And Jan says, The script form aside, there is an honest voice here, and I'm invested in the characters and the story. Wow, did you get invested, Nick?
3: Um. yeah, I think I did actually. Against you know my you know first impressions, you know you see something with a with a slash in it in yeah. the title, and you see the with you know um, you know quite sort of mangled English and and obvious grammatical um, mistakes, and you think you know no, actually I'm not going to not going to go here um, yeah. with this. Yeah. Um, but but um, uh, I actually think it could be you know a, a, a very ambitious book. In, mm. in some ways um uh, you know I quite liked you know the fact that you're straight into the mum Sophie seeing unicorns again you know so that's totally explained to you you know mm. um right at that but at the same time I kind of felt everything was just too quick um uh, you know if everything was slowed down a little bit and you know we got a little bit more time uh, at home because where I see this going in my mind you know basically is you know that we've got a very gritty very sort of um uh, tough tale um, you know of a parents facing you know really their their mm. worst nightmare mm. um, and also we're going to presumably have this little girl you know going in her seizures into some sort of incredible sort of fantasy land mm. um, and something, you know is going to come of that you know and, and that could be really interesting and it you know there' been a number of very good books you know which have which have done similar um, uh, similar similar things um, so I mean I would I think it's very ambitious. Um, uh, I think that you know there are lots of things about it that need a lot of work. But you know, a bit of time on a word processor, you know, would um, uh, um, would, would basically take out the errors. Mm. Um, uh, Never, ever start a new paragraph, I think, with a while later. Um, One of them was started uh, with that. You know, let things happen in their own time. Don't sort of jump. Don't just say, this is a bit that was boring. I couldn't be bothered to write about. And that's what a while later basically says to me. Um, uh, So, um, yeah, I think that I I would, I mean, I, I... given it quite low marks but i think that i would be intrigued in finding yeah. out if there was more uh, because i think there's quite an imagination here
1: well you've got to, you've got to mark the words you see in front of you and i'm getting excited about the concept i think you can you can see the concept too you're getting a bit excited about that but we have to we have to mark what we see uh what did you think johnny
0: yeah i think a, a lot of i would agree with was a lot of what nick said there um i think i'm i'm, I'm like you pete in as much as i am um, Actually, I've lost you. Hang on a sec. <laughs> Where's everybody gone? Oh my god! Um, you, I can hear you fine. Oh no, keep, yeah, keep, keep okay. On. That's fine. Sorry, my apologies. My screen went a bit funny there. Yeah, um, I was on the voting page. That's what it was. Yeah, I think it is. A, it is quite a concept for the for the book, and, and I think you know this idea of, of a child um, suffering, you know, from a bit, uh, a recurring brain tumour, oh. is quite is very strong. And the fact that you know, while everybody's worried about the child, obviously the fact that she has a fantasy land developing in there is something like, which which, with the proper handling could be a hell of a good story if if, if it could be pulled off. It could but that. there, there yeah. are many there are many other issues which you don't work. It gets very sort of, I think, you know, reading it from, from it was much strong at the start and it tapered off a bit. The more we got into the waiting room scene, somebody I think in the genius room said melodramatic and it did become a little bit melodramatic. Yeah, like it was a bit sort thing. of... A, a bit a bit heavy you know a bit the language went a bit funny and and as Nick has said a few minutes ago I think you know I, I think there is a gem somewhere in here could be chiseled out of the rockets around it um yeah. but it, it needs it, it needs work it needs um if Miguel couldn't do it he needs to maybe you know perhaps think about joining a writing group or definitely you know, heaven for friends. Somewhere like Latopia, ah, uh, you know, where he, would get, where, 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 he, where he would send me the tenor, uh, where he would get the actual, um, you know, he would, would get some some pointers from people, you know, because yeah. sort of sometimes when you're writing a book and you haven't written a book before, uh, it can be a lonely place, yeah, and you, okay. you start uh, bamboozling yourself really. Yeah. And, and there's stuff, there's stuff there that, that he can, you know, there, there's something, there is definitely something here to, to be to be um, praised. There is, isn't there? But, there's something at the heart of this. Uh, but, that,
1: that, uh, yeah, I agree.
0: as presented it's messy you know and i think and unfortunately uh the the publishing's a tough business and will people you know who are sort of rushed you know beyond all sense of time give it the time it needs because i think you know if you're looking at if you're looking at next um editors and people like that who might get these things in are they going to have necessary the time to think ooh, I'm going to give this a chance, I you know, know. So I think it's invaluable. I think it's invaluable that he should um, he should actually Miguel should maybe look at getting it tidied up and and, and go for another draft. But yeah, I think there's something what, definitely here. What
1: Johnny said is an editor going to have time to take this from zero to sixty? No, no, basically
3: no. No, no I mean, not, there's no. such a volume of, there's such a volume of um of, yeah. of work that comes in. I'm afraid, you know, yeah. the slightest um. Uh, infringement of uh, you know of, of whatever it is people are looking for ex- editors unfortunately are looking for excuses to say no to something um uh, and that's you know then actually repeated throughout the book world you know even when you've actually you know edited a book and taken it on and published it you know booksellers are looking for a reason to say no to, to, to mm-hmm. putting it in their stores yeah. um and you know so, All the way through the chain, you know, you've got to be an absolute top of your game. Everything's got to be as good as it can possibly be because the competition is simply ferocious. I mean, Mm -hmm. look at the numbers of books that are published, you know, um, uh, every single day. It's hundreds of thousands in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You've got to have stuff um, uh, in, uh, you know, your presentation, in your story um, uh, that um, uh, puts you ahead of the crowd.
1: There you go. There you
3: go. You
0: heard it. You heard it here. I meant to say as well that I exactly like you, Pete. I I thought that the uh, the title minus the Rouders, is a great title as well. I, I think that title works. I'll mark, I'll mark the title quite high.
1: Yeah, I, mean, um, I did. Do, I just well, maybe I shouldn't have done, but I did because I could see the potential there. Let's look at the numbers. You got a fifty-six, Samuel. Fifty-six. Should we have a look at the scores so far? I've <laughs> got two two people in the lead. Was you, me, well, and also you, Garen. So. I know you're with us, Garen, So well, you can, uh, you can pat yourself on the back. Well, at least with one hand, because you've got two more submissions before then. Um, I think um, I should possibly. Uh, I don't
5: know. You hear that, Mister Cox? What? That is the sound of inevitability.
1: I thought we got rid of that character. I thought that was <laughs> that's Mister Jiperty, and he's come back again. I told him not to. It's outrageous, <coughs> Nicholas. How frightened should we be of Mr. Chat
3: <sighs> I think that, that Mr. Chat uh, Jeopardy is yeah. um, not to be frightened um, of, is to be embraced. I think <clears throat> that uh, Mr. Uh, Chat Jeopardy is going to make all of our lives easier in the long run. I okay. think that uh, AI is effectively a tool um, for us to employ um, uh, rather than, you know, a robotic overlord that's going to steal all of our good
2: ideas.
1: OK, so two questions. In- um, for genre fiction, is this the Nirvana that genre publishers like romance and so on? I've been looking for because they can just punch in. I want another one of them book. 70,000 words. Got the manuscript just like that. No messy authors to deal with them. And this is publishing Nirvana.
3: Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sure that you're not going to have messy authors and, and people to deal with. I mean, uh, these things are trained on you know existing works. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you wanted your Crichton, you know, a new Crichton, for example, presumably you know you'd be dealing with the Crichton estate or whoever created you know and uh, put together all the all, 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 all the stuff. So I, I think that authors are still very much uh, you know involved. But there's also a thing, I mean, this is maybe going back, you know, to, to the bad boy thing that we we're talking about earlier, yeah. you know, is that none of us really actually know what the next big thing is going to be. And it often very much comes from the left field. And, you know, it comes from some experience, someone doing some, you know, writing something, you know, that no one's else has actually done or actually lived. And... I think you know that AI is very brilliant at doing a general, you know, synthesis of, um, you know, the world and you know viewpoints, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you know, taking the sum of you know human knowledge that already exists out there on the net and presenting it in an easily digestible form, a bit like a fourteen-year-old's essay at the moment. I guess in a few years, they'll be writing really rather you know, in nice a few bit, weeks a actually, the,
1: the pace of change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could be,
3: um, um uh, but it's not it's not really it's not necessarily it's not the new thing um it's uh, it, it's not the strange and wonderful um uh uh lived experience um of uh, of, of of humans but i, I see it you know it, you know being able to revolutionize you know the way we work as editors and the way we work as writers um and the way we work as artists um uh, you know a few years ago um everyone was very upset you know when um uh, uh, rather than um, taking real photographs, people have started using Photoshop. Yeah, that's right. um, And now people yeah. are very upset yeah. that people are using text-generated, um, uh, mm. text-prompt-generated you know, um, uh, art uh, from, uh, uh, yeah. from AIs. But, you know, at what point do you actually say, you know, that's allowed or not allowed? You, you're now saying that an artist isn't allowed to use um, an AI to help them prepare, you know, part of their art or to generate some, um, some part of it, but it's okay for them to use, um, say, Photoshop or Illustrator to generate, you know, part of the background. You know, at yeah. what point do you say, these tools are unfair, and we're going to, we're going to stop you from, from, from using them? I don't think you can actually have a dividing line, and therefore, you know, we have to embrace it. And, so you, you know, call that, the yeah.
1: shots, um, right, a decade or more ago, actually, about ebooks. And most other publishers didn't, but you got it right, and you got the price point right, and you did incredibly well like that. Um, so I'm just wondering how much of an outlier you are, um, as far as other publishers are concerned on this issue. Do you f- do you feel a general sense of fear from other publishers, or, or what?
3: Um, uh, I think there's a deep resistance in the creative community um, of you know of artists and and, and of writers um, in worrying of you know of issues about copyright. And I think that that is um, is is well founded, and I think that there does obviously need to be quite a regulatory, you know, tighten up about what the actual rules are around, you know, art and and words mm. and voices, even, um, because I mean all of these things are going to be able to be, you know, faked, um, and uh, so I mean I think that that is that that's very legitimate, but. But in the end, I mean, mm. these tools are going to completely and utterly transform the industry. I mean, we've yeah. had, you know, this is really the second half of the IT um, revolution. You know, all of us have, you know, for you know, decades. Um, and part of me thinks, you know, what productivity gains have we actually, you know, got from this? You know, now my, my world is awash with, you know, chats and billions yeah. of emails every single day and thousands of spreadsheets and data 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 yes, it's all know, over the place I I can't, can't,
1: it's not got easier it has it?
3: <laughs> no. no so you know are we publishing more books are we publishing slightly more but not a massive amount more um, so i think that you know a lot of productivity has not been delivered and i think that actually having computers who are able you know to analyze the data that they've generated and we have fed into them and actually mm. synthesize it back to you like i said to the intelligent 14 year old Hmm. Um, uh, is exactly what is required okay. um, and will hopefully free us up, you know, to do the creative things yeah. um, that, you know, the humans actually are really good at.
1: Well, that, that's... Um, and if you're right, <laughs> and I hope you are, I hope you're right about this <laughs> as you about e-books, uh, that's actually quite encouraging news. Um, and what you're saying is, don't be quite so frightened. It may not be as awful as you, as you, as you fear. Um, might even be fun. Might even be fun. Yeah, OK. Fingers crossed. Here we go. Submission number four. Pay attention. There's magic. Look at that genre. Roman. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Had to look it up. I know. I know. I. You know, when I think of that, I always think of John Irving, actually. John Irving. If you know John Irving. He was a huge writer a few decades ago. Well, hopefully he's still self-supported but he wrote sort of a typical classical builder's rhymes really um, this is called Biker Boy and the Road to Redemption and it's from Darren this is Darren's blurb lying semi-conscious in the road and critically injured a middle-aged biker revisits the questions that shaped his life did he ever recapture that sense of identity and belonging he knew as a young man was there any redemption for the death of his girlfriend? Is he possible to be both a devout Muslim and a Marxist? Hmm, I should think it is. Was it, just, was it a justified life? And as his memory fades into hallucination, who is the woman in white leathers who claims to know the answers? It's about Darren? Although I know we have only have one life, I'm doing my best to have more than one go at it. After studying history at LSE and UCL, I've uh, variety, had a variety of jobs. I've worked in an aircraft factory in a bank, as a teacher, as a driver for the local council. Now I'm a writer, currently working on a different kind of Arthurian novel, working titled Birth of a Legend. It sets out to imagine events and circumstances in the 5th century AD, which might have generated an oral tradition of the saviour figure. Which, you're selling me something you're not selling <laughs> You're not talking. I'm not going to read the rest <laughs> of this actually, because it's, it's taking our focus off what your your submission. All right, so it's, it's all very interesting. Send send that one in, you know, in a few weeks or months, because we've got a backlog. Still. In fact, we're not, as you know, we're not accepting submissions. Uh, I'll tell you when when we do again. Um, but for now, we're very much focusing on this, and particularly this reading from the one and only John.
0: Biker Boy and The Road to Redemption Written by Darren Read by John 1. Crash I am no longer certain who did these things that I remember doing. Different times, different places, different people. Time and circumstance led down a sediment of experience which gradually pressed the malleable stuff of youth into a different person. That much I do know but along the way I had lost sight of the certainties of youth, of knowing who I am and where I belong. I could feel a nostalgia for them still lodged within me and I knew I had to find them again so I could move beyond the guilt. She is not impressed. She dismisses becoming a different person as mere sophistry, a conscience on the run to evade the guilt of death. So it might have been at the outset, but not later on. As I grew older, I wanted to atone for those feelings and to be someone perfectly at ease with my past. Yet, whatever my motive, the experiences I gained along the way did eventually change me into something else. Someone who deserves absolution. She is the gist of my defence. It fails to convince. She throws it out on the grounds that personal responsibility stays with you for life, however much I might change or refashion myself. And therein lies the paradox on which I am being judged. On one hand, there is in a sense in which I can say that I am no longer the person who did these things for which I am now called to account and I am therefore absolved. On the other hand, however, no matter how much I may have changed since then, there is also a sense in which they are still my memories, my faults, part of my life. I could have excused my early faults as betrayals of callow youth, but until they are redeemed, acknowledge betrayals of whatever degree corrode whoever I have become. I understand why politicians never feel able to admit their disasters and why criminals will not willingly confess their bloody crimes. It does not fit the person that they think they are to be capable of such horrors. But one day they will be a different person and so capable of redemption by proxy. I know it sounds too easy. She is right to be sceptical. I do not understand it. But that is how the paradox dissolved for me on the road to Monmouth, a few minutes before I crashed. When I finally finished rebuilding my old motorcycle that had lain in boxes in the garage for years, I was well aware that this body would no longer bounce down the road as it had done 40 years before. Of course, they were right when they said I could not recapture youth. Old limbs and muscles cannot pretend to those activities. That was not the point. Looking back, it is not so much the energy, the willing mind and body that are now lost to the attitude of innocence that fired them up and gave them the direction. I knew there was no honour in age, just as clearly as I understood there was no going back. Rather, I wanted to revisit that innocence of mind, to pay homage to that person and redeem his faults before he had faded, redeem the past and move on into the comfortable security of old age. But how will I know when I'm old? It is much easier to see it in others than it is in ourselves. I have seen what is waiting for me. While driving the minibus to the day centre, I could study the pensioners in the rearview mirror and see my own future set in tableau of the life in retreat. This is how I learned the bitter truth that there is no honour in the impotence of age. The nervous shuffle of each faltering step, the fading recognition of time and place and destination, castaways in a world that only has hints and whispers of familiarity. Yet still, with vivid memories of a different person long ago, when ageless immortals strutted careless with youth and life was more future than past. But whose future? Whose past?
1: Terrific reading, from Johnny. We're going to hear from Johnny in just a moment about his reactions to that. First of all, I just want to tell you about this, actually, because it's uh, a sujet du jour at the moment, isn't it? If you're moving away from Twitter, (laughs) which a lot of people are, actually, for various reasons we're going to, well, look what you can do here. You can actually, I don't know, you can have fun on the beach with a mammoth. Or at least that's what this uh, this card looks like. It's uh, Yeah, we've got our own Mastodon server. If you want to give it a go, try it out. It's going to be up there, oh, probably at least until the end of the year. Let's see what it's like. Let's see how it stacks up against okay, Twitter. You know Lutopia is nothing if not an experimental community. So jump in there, Lutopia.me, join our Mastodon server, and let's see where we go with it. And Now let's see what the Genius Room are saying. And Lex has taken... Nick's advice about uh, AI ChatGPT. Very literally he says I'm going to try this thing right now. Beep. Hmm, 300,000 words, great characters, but disappointing anticlimactic ending. Oh, he said I had this thing set to Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hannah likes the title, James says better title would be Muslim and moxist PGI a combination of zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, question mark. Blurbs, little meandering, says Hannah. Eva says, with the Marxists, Marxism and Muslims, is there any chance in the Western world? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Chandler Jewells, strong title, too many questions in blurb. Claire, blurb made me feel a little confused in places. Yeah, me too. Title sounds young, says Vicarbond. Martin says, like sediment of experience. That is a nice expression, isn't it? Too interior, says Claire. I think it is. Agamon, where, when, give us some setting first, dude, and start with the scene, says Hannah. Claire says, meandering. Engagingly intimate tone, if going on too long, (coughs) says Martin. Um,. Skip me out. So, I mean, if you are with us at the moment, Darren, then you need to read everything, because there's no way I can actually get all these, these comments out. Hannah says, I'm getting bored. Story, please. Annie says, not interesting enough. Sorry. Um, Martin feels like we've been directly addressed, but about what? I'm not sure. Start with the scene, says Annie. That's good advice. Terry says, writing's very competent. But the monologue goes on for too long, and I lost interest. That's a pity because there's definitely something there. So, on a writer, we are lucky to have Johnny as an narrator. What were your thoughts about it?
0: Well, first thought I would say is Darren can definitely wrangle some words. when I mean, he's he's got good chops. He can write very very well. Uh, but for me, this didn't. It was you know what all the, all of the things I've I've made the notes myself, which echo those of the. um, of the genius room it's a bit too introspective i think mm-hmm. you know i, I it, it came alive for me when he got to the section where he said it was on the road to monmouth blah 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 or sorry when he talked about um re, 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 uh, rebuilding his old bike and i said ah okay and his mates said, oh you know what's this a midlife crisis or whatever i'm paraphrasing here so all, all those things, all of a sudden it, it became a tangible story i think uh, you know th- the, the introspection of the monologue really just, it, it was a good, we have a saying in it, all now you're a good turn, but you've been on too long. And I think that was the thing. I, I think, you know, if, if you're going to go into that depth of writing, perhaps you know, be a bit more um, ruthless with yourself editing on it. Because if you look at the straw poll here of the, of, of the, the comments people are making, they all got a bit cheesed off with it by the they end. Did. So that should say something. Yeah. Um, it, it also needed a little bit, it was about, it was, um, some of the sentences needed different punctuation. I felt it was it was quite hard. Some of them ran on and ran on a bit, and I think that's just a, from a, from a reading point of view. Um, but it's well written. Uh, the guy can write well, but I think he has to. I think Darren, we, you should have a rethink of how much introspection, yeah. how much monologue you put in at the start, yeah. and get more to the story for
1: us, please. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with that. I suspect that uh, Nick is going to say much the same
3: um uh, yeah i i wrote in my notes enough already um mm-hmm. it's extremely eloquent um use of words but all to no effect because mm-hmm. it was really really actually dull um uh naval in- introspection um you know I, I i too actually you know thought oh gosh you know thank goodness we're talking about the road to monmouth and i thought actually what a great title um uh, yeah. uh, and you know the most, like, um, uh, i think that that was that was just a moment of um Moment, brief moment of excitement. Um, uh, so I, I don't think the title's right. Um, uh, uh, the blurb was full of questions that I didn't really care about, you know, um, uh, at that particular moment. And frankly, anything that labels itself as a building's ruin, you know, when it comes in, you know, is something that's likely to go straight into the straight into the tr- straight
1: into the tr- trash. Mm, don't like um, uh, <laughs> I've got I've got the new John Irving, by the way, if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, uh, so yeah, I, you know, yeah, I mean, nice writing, um, uh, nicely read. Um, uh, but you know, it was just passing the time without yeah, ever it was, getting into it, gear. Didn't get into it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. and you know, I, you know, the, the Arthurian one sounds, um, you know, a, a lot more interesting. Uncor- um, e- even
1: even <laughs> Darren sounds more interested than that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait to see that one. Thank you very much. Uh, Nick, let's look at the numbers. You've got a 50, a solid 50. Solid 50. Fairly light-scoring show at the moment. Um, let's... Uh, oh, I, I can't I can't end this little section without mentioning James's comment. Love Johnny's smooth voice. So sexy. And Martin... Why, well, thank you very much. Martin says, <laughs> me too. Like a cup of Cadbury's. Johnny, you've got, <laughs> you've got several fans now. Isn't that nice? Mm, wow. wow. Yeah. Well, um... Speaking of our narrators, here they are. Thank you very much, Tim. Good comment from YouTube there. Um, if you want to, uh, to know more about our narrators, why, why wouldn't you? See what, what Johnny's favourite nighttime beverage is, for example. Is it Cadbury's or not? <laughs> then you go to voice.litopia.com, li- voice.litopia.com, and you'll see pictures of them, and you'll get bios there. And most importantly, I think you'll get audio samples too, because you undoubtedly want to hire one of our excellent narrators for your next audiobook. And here we are, submission number five of the day Chelsea Roberts Diary, Contemporary Women's Fiction from Fiona Hello Fiona, are you there at the moment? If you're on YouTube, give us a wave, give us a review <coughs> We're reviewing your manuscripts. you can review us I believe that Chelsea's story will resonate with many young women. This is your blurb. This is not a blurb. Fiona, it's not a blurb. As she struggles with anxiety and depression, the demands of her friends and her mum, what she thinks she should be doing and what's expected of her by men. Responsibilities of her job and her finances, she's plagued by feelings of self-doubt, which most people can identify with. And these are accentuated by the constant comparison she makes between herself and her lives. She sees her friends living on friend space. Right, so you know, don't you, you're gonna get I'm not you you are going to get i am going to mark it very long on that because that's not blurb. Um uh there is I've I've done this um uh the seminar all about blurbs. Um, which you can get inside The Colony. But actually, there's this free one. Well, it's free inside The Colony, too, actually, for members. Um, but this one as well was all about book proposals, both fiction and non-fiction. It's only about 20 minutes, and people are finding it quite useful. So you might like to have a look at that. That's on the, uh, the typey channel. Let me tell everybody about... Um, excuse me. Let's do the page. Yeah, you, Fiona. Um, I'm a 35-year-old charity fundraiser living in London with my partner and daughter. I'm originally from Sheffield and have also lived in Liverpool. Before I had my daughter, I travelled wi- widely. Lived in Vietnam for a year. That's interesting. I love books and reading. Studied at English University. Also a keen runner. Very pleased to have completed the London Marathon. Congratulations. Although Chelsea Roberts' diary is fiction, Chelsea's experiences mirror my own in many ways, and I've dealt with anxiety and depression. I'm a passionate feminist and I hope that the book can draw more attention to the issues of consent and sexual harassment post me too. I wonder if we are post me too. I don't. I don't know. Separate, separate discussion. Not interested in that. I am very interested in this narration from Emily.
6: Chelsea Roberts Diary by Fiona, read by Emily. Saturday, 22nd of October, 2016. I don't really know how to start this thing. I mean, I don't even know who to address it to. Do a diary would be the usual way to go, I guess, but that doesn't feel right. It suggests too much that I'm writing this for someone, or that someone will read it, when in reality, no one will. I probably won't even bother reading it once it's written, and if I'm not interested in reading my own thoughts, it's ridiculous to think that anyone else would be. It doesn't help that I don't really know why I'm starting a diary at all. I've never felt like recording my thoughts before, but I've seen a lot of stuff around recently about journals, and I thought I'd give it a go see what all the fuss is about. Hopefully I'll get the hang of it as I go along. Eventually, maybe it'll stop feeling weird, but right now, even though I'm writing this in my flat where no one else can see me, it feels pretty stupid and self-indulgent. Anyway, I actually bought this diary months ago and I've only just been able to bring myself to writing it. Writing in it at all is probably a good start. What can I tell you? I'm so hungover. This is not unusual, if I'm honest, a pretty standard Saturday for Chelsea Roberts, but this is a particularly bad one, I must say. I mean, I'm pretty off fait with hangovers, but today has been horrendous. I couldn't even stand up straight for the majority of the day. Every time I had to get up to go to the toilet or find painkillers, I had to do it in full crouch mode. If someone had been watching me, I'm sure they would have found it hilarious, but living it was not funny at all. It was all I could do to keep breathing at times, and even that was an effort. When I woke up this morning, I was still wearing my clothes from last night and for a second I genuinely had no idea where I was. I mean, I was in my own bed. How confusing can that be? I also couldn't remember what happened at the end of last night. That makes a lot more sense. Well, that was until I realised that I could still taste those disgusting chilli drinks. What were we thinking? It's a good reason that chilli cocktails aren't all the rage and that is because they're vile. Truly vile. Anyway. So today has been a complete write-off. I didn't wake up fully until four o'clock this afternoon, and even when I did, all I could do was lie in bed and watch TV. And of course, I had no food in my cupboard, so I had to order pizza. Such a fatty. But the pizza was all I ate all day, so I think calorie-wise, I'm safe. Bloody hell, I was an absolute show last night. In a way, I'm glad I can't really remember what happened. But on the other hand, at least if I could remember, I wouldn't have had to lie to Jess, Steph and Heather about what went on. Sometimes I wonder why they even bothered hanging out with me. Such a liability. I had no idea we were even meant to be going out until really late into the day yesterday. Well, I say I had no idea. I'd just completely forgotten. There was only an hour or so to go until the end of the day and I was at my desk, mega procrastinating, scrolling through friend space, envying everyone's lives, when I got a message from Steph checking that we were all still on for that night. Until that point, I'd been fully anticipating... Coming home, having a bath, drinking a bottle of wine. Not a bad Friday night in itself. But it turns out last night was the opening of Hot, which we all bought tickets for ages ago. Hence, I'd forgotten all about it. Never mind writing a diary like this. Perhaps I should just start writing an appointment diary.
1: And thank you, Emily. Always lifts my heart to have a narration from Emily, of course, who was the um, in charge of our team and writers, in fact. And the genii are just hopping with uh, genius particles. Title not original enough. What's the story? Uh, Hannah says that. Terry says what's the story? James says Bridget Jones. Everyone's thinking British Jones. Title and blurb do not have a spark. Says uh, Pamela J. Bridget Jones depressed sister. Says Claire G. Vagabond says, says sounds miserable. Uh, blurb is a pitch, not a blurb. It actually, puts me off. <laughs> oh dear, it's an anti-blurb you've created here, Fiona. Uh, <laughs> well, just just write it again, but do the opposite of what you've done. Um, Eva says, so what's new? Usual women problems. I couldn't say that. Uh, Bridget was never that mixed, says uh, EJ. Logan. Chandler Jewel says, generic title. This does not work as a blurb. Um, so it's a story of says Vagabond. And Claire says, such a negative, depressing opening. Hannah, okay, saying, even you aren't interested in your thoughts. <laughs> is a good way to lose your readers. Yes, it is. Claire says, I like the first person voice. Pamela Joe says, Oh man, this is the vomit version of your story. Start with I'm really hungover, but the voice seems self-indulgent and pitying. Jane says, get into the story right away, please. Um doesn't feel like a diary, says Vigabond. Where is the voice? Why would she refer to herself as Chelsea Roberts? I always call myself Peter Collins. Uh, maybe I thought it was normal. Um, waking up with a hangover is a very cliche start, says Hanger. Uh, hanger. <laughs> hanger, Hanger. Uh, Eva says it can become just repetitive. Martin says Emily is my second favourite Irish narrator. Huh. No, no prizes for guessing who your first is, actually. Yeah, this is rapidly turning into the Johnny show. Uh, first reaction take please.
3: Oh, right. Um, well, actually, my, my first reaction does notice um, there's uh, a, uh, a reply to Claire G um, in the Genius Room um, about oh, yes. building in the trash. Um, it's not the genre that goes in the trash. It's the self-applied label um, right. in, the, in the pitch, level, um, which is a bit of a red flag um, for something that you're just about to not enjoy. Um, uh, but that's probably um, <laughs> just a pedagogy just written uh, bread from too many years. Too of, much uh, experience, of yeah. Being that word mentioned on substandard um, uh, uh, proposals. But anyway, um, on to Chelsea Roberts' diary. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, the elephant in the room here is Bridget James's diary. Yeah, you know, still that, is, still you know is. you're going right in at the top, and you're, um, you know, I've got you know something to um, uh, to, to to top um, to top Bridget, um, and uh, that's ambitious. Um, we salute your ambition, uh, Fiona. But you know, I think we're just talking about sort of uh, anxiety and depression. It's not a. It's not a kind of a. You know, these are obviously important matters, but, you know, it's, it, it's not a great sales pitch in terms of the blurb. And then we get into the, um, into the text itself. And, you know, you don't, you don't need that apology. Um, uh, I think, you know, you don't want to start, you know, with the idea that no one's going to read this, that you've got nothing to say, um, that it's just going to be self-indulgent. Um, because, my God, what if all those things do turn out to be true? Yes, um, or if you've just said it, um, you've got to, in the very next paragraph completely flip that around by saying something so completely outrageous, um, so something that takes your breath away and makes you really, you know, you've got to have that contrast basically. Yeah. And there isn't that contrast because starting um, your book with your character waking up with a terrible hangover is a terrible cliche, um, and yeah, yeah um, nothing really, nothing really happened, you know, sort of in in that. In that, um, yeah. uh, in that, so you know, I I was waiting, you know, for that uh, um, for that moment of excitement, that thing that was going to basically make me feel that this was, you know, an answer to or better than um, Bridget Jones's Diary, mm-hmm. and I
1: didn't get yeah. it. Yeah, thank you very much um joe says the premise the writer has is good topical and worth writing about but doing serious topics while writing a whole novel that carries the reader to the end that's a hard task chandler jules has got some interesting interesting suggestion perhaps put us on a scene with the chili drinks yeah might be some mileage in that and jan says i don't mind the walk into the diary she might be taking her time to get there get the courage to write about the real reason she's here original voice in my opinion johnny
0: yeah, I think it's all been said, and in front of me, I've written the same phrase Nick used: "Elephant in the room," but it was always going to be mentioned anyway. Yeah. And I think uh, I, I wonder if the world of publishing is ready for a, another Bridget Jones's Diary. And if I was going I to go for the project, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, but I, 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 I think I, I think to substitute the name and call it the same is is very sort of um, not not a great idea because uh, yeah. you know people will expect it to be um, you know. The, what Nick said again, uh, this is it, I'm going to trump that, you know, and, and this clearly doesn't. Um, I, I agree with, that. I think it was Chandler judal said that I, perhaps, you know, when when we got to the, the diary entry, let's just have a funny story or something outrageous happening at, at the drinks the night before, just to refer to it in passing, just as, as an opportunity to engage is squandered a little bit. Um, I, I, just what people have said, really, I, I couldn't really engage with it. Um, I'm probably not the target anyway. But even so, um, I think we're just treading water with this at the moment. And yeah. I think Fiona might need to have a rethink. I think And, so um, and, yeah. and just, you know, just maybe say, well... You know, if she's familiar with how the the, the you know, Bridget Jones' Diary has a very specific story, and there's mm-hmm. nothing here at the moment which is which is sort of offering up a story to us. You know, it's, it it yeah. just does re- read a bit like a random entry into a diary, and there's no there's no foreshadowing of any story here no. at the moment as well. It I may well enjoy. come in words. It may come in words seven hundred and fifty, but you know, if you're if you're putting seven hundred words up for assessment, try and go with your best seven hundred or something Absolutely. that's going to try and try and hook people don't hide that light either. That's bushel but, uh, but catch, yeah but the writing was fine no no issue with the writing the rope was fine yeah several people said that well, uh, claire <laughs> says
1: catch 22 had a good way of using him to mask serious issues try that style good suggestion and claire also said i think fiona can write well but she needs to show us uh see, I was life not towers. and uh jan i don't know what jan has said there. oh yeah uh apparently joe agrees with jan as i read out previously just start with the hard here from the start, I think. The voice has promise. We look at the numbers. You've got 45. 45. And I think, to be honest, I think you really... Um, oh, sorry, I've put down the wrong bit of paper now. Oh, God, all over the place. I think that was the... Um, the numbers are low on that, particularly low, because of your blurb. You're going to write a blurb. Learn how to write a blurb. That's my feeling. Well, let's look at... Final score... And, oh, it's interesting. Look, uh, Miguel has gone down one. People say, how can that happen? It happens because the junior stream keep voting. And when they voted, you know, when each, each individual has voted, that's it. You can't vote anymore on that particular submission. But we do get some late votes. And one or two late votes, so if they're a bit on the low side, they bring the number down. So it means we actually do have a show winner. Well done, Garen. Just pipped ahead there to win the show. And I'm going to say thank you very much, Johnny. You've got some new fans. A lot of people think you're very sexy. Which, I mean, fine. You know, (laughs) it takes a little sauce, doesn't it? Uh, (laughs) And Nick, it's always a very long show when you come on. Very long. It's super long. I won't shut up. Oh no, it's not not <laughs> complaining. It's actually it's so interesting. We just get you talking about stuff, and but honestly, it's like it's one hour twenty five minutes. That really is one of our very longest shows. It hasn't seemed like a second too long. Always fantastic when you come on. Have you had a good time? I had a magnificent time. A magnificent time, Johnny. Can you beat that? Absolutely. Have you had yep. a decent time? i'll go for splendid splendid time and uh, yeah. isn't that nice johnny's got all those fans who think he's dead sexy in the genius room i've just seen one from nick as well claire so you've got a fan there too so isn't that wonderful we are going to wind things up now johnny's going to go off and do his golf uh, and i'm going to say we'll see you same time next